a number of years ago, I heard a story uh, about a cardiac surgeon who lived in Minnesota, and he was very successful, very famous. People would come from all over the country for surgery, and he did a great job, and as a result of that, uh, he made an awful lot of money, and he was very generous with his money, and as a follower of Christ, he wanted to see God's work uh, accomplished around the world, and he would give a lot of money to his church, but he also gave money to support some missionaries who lived down in Mexico. There were actually uh, two families, I think they were from his church, who went down to Mexico in order to help meet some of the physical needs, but also to tell the people living in this uh, small village, to tell them about Jesus Christ and who he was and what he had done for them, and just to bring that good news uh, to, to this small village in Mexico. And so as this doctor learned about the work that they were doing, he decided he wanted to support them financially. And in fact, over the years, he ended up being their major financial supporter for these two families because he was making so much money, he was able, uh, able to do that. And so as the, as the months and years went on, he would uh, keep in touch with them, he would read their newsletters, he would pray for them, and a couple of times he even went down to Mexico to visit them and see the work that they were doing. And he was getting more and more and more excited about what God was doing through these two families in Mexico. And finally, uh, after praying and thinking about it and talking to some friends, one day he just said, that's it. I'm going, to sell my, uh, I'm going to sell my business, I'm going to sell my practice, and I'm going to head down to Mexico, and I'm going to serve God by being a missionary down in Mexico with these two families. And this man was so excited about what God was doing, and he was so wanting to be involved in it in that way, that he essentially gave up everything. He gave up his medical practice, he gave up his house, he gave up everything, and ended up going down to Mexico to become a missionary. And that story of that cardiac surgeon fits so well with the passage that I want us to look at this morning from Matthew chapter 13, and it's two short parables that Jesus tells, three verses, two parables, but there's a depth and a profoundness in these two short parables. So let's take a look. Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 44. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, he sold everything he had, and he bought it. And there you go, three verses, two parables, but a lot of depth in that. And that's the way parables are. Parables are typically fairly short little stories. Each of these is just a couple of sentences long. Short stories that are analogies that take something that's familiar for us in the physical world in which we live, and they teach us a spiritual truth. And parables are true to life, although they're not necessarily something that actually happens. So Jesus was probably not thinking of a specific man who found a treasure hidden in a field or a specific a particular pearl merchant who found this one valuable pearl, but he could have been. And these are realistic stories. And it's always helpful to begin when you're trying to understand the point of a parable. It's always helpful to begin with the physical, with the basic story, and then move and understand what Jesus is trying to teach us 
about our spiritual lives. So, think of that first parable. Guy's walking through a field, and he finds some buried treasure. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us exactly what happened. Did he see something sticking up out of the ground and start digging? Was he walking with a walking stick, and his, you know, his stick hit something, and it sounded hollow, so he decided to check it out? Did he have one of those metal detectors you know, that you see you know, down the shore where you, know, you lost your wedding ring last summer, you know, and some guy finds it, and maybe he sends it to you? Anyway, you know, if you want one of those metal detectors, I think the coin shop across the street here uh, sells those if you're interested in, in searching for buried treasure. In any case, Jesus doesn't tell us how this guy found this hidden treasure, but he says he found it, <coughs> excuse me, and as soon as he found it, he realizes this is valuable and I have to have it. Now, in those days, people didn't have, they didn't put their money in banks, they didn't especially put their valuables in banks. What they would often do is bury them in the ground. And if they died and nobody knew where it was buried, it could be there for, for years before somebody would stumble across it. And somebody even might buy the land that this person owned without realizing that there was treasure buried on that land. Add to that that in that day and age, the law was essentially finders keepers. And so this guy finds the treasure buried in the field, and in his culture, he is under absolutely no obligation to let the owner of the field know that there's treasure buried there. So he says to himself, hey, look, if I can buy this field for the price that the field is worth, I'm going to get the treasure thrown in for free. And so he's like, there's no way I'm going to skip over that opportunity. So he's happy. He just runs. He sells everything he has because it's an expensive field. And he buys it because he knows that no matter how much that treasure is worth, he's getting it for free, so he's getting a lot more than he paid for. Similar kind of situation for the pearl merchant. The, the guy who stumbles on the treasure in the field, he wasn't necessarily looking for it. The pearl merchant absolutely was looking for pearls because that was his profession. He was a wholesaler. The word for merchant means wholesaler as opposed to retailer. So he's going to buy it at what's well below the market price for that pearl. So he's going around, he's trading, he's buying and selling pearls, and he comes across one like nothing he has ever seen before. And he realizes this is it. This is probably the most valuable pearl that I'm ever going to come across. And it's going to cost me everything, but it's absolutely worth it because I know I can mark up the price and I can get back so much more than I paid for it. And that's what's going on in both of these parables. Both of these guys were more than willing to give up everything they had because they know that what they were going to gain was so much more valuable than what they had to give up. And Jesus is saying the same thing is true in the kingdom of God. The same thing is true for we who are followers of Christ who have dedicated our lives to serving and to following him. He's saying nothing, nothing is more valuable than following Jesus and serving him and asking him to use us to help others to come to know him and to accomplish his purposes throughout the world. So the missionaries down in Mexico, they're telling people about Jesus and they're helping to meet the physical needs. They're doing what God wants them to be doing for the kingdom of God. And so this surgeon 
when he looks at that, he says, yeah, I'd be given up a lot to give up my medical practice and my home and my neighbors and all that. But you know what? I'm going to gain so much more for the joy of being able to help other people to come to know and to serve and to worship and to follow Jesus Christ. So he was willing to do that. Think about with me for a minute, think about just the the sweep of what we might call redemptive history. God's plan to redeem the world and bring it back to himself. Long, long time ago in a galaxy, not not necessarily in a galaxy far, far away. Long, long time, I'm a Star Wars fan, you know, I'm sorry, It's it's just the way it is. If you're not, we can have a discussion later on. Anyway, long time ago, long time ago, before the world existed, God decided he wanted to create the world. Why? Because God is creative. That's who he is. Some of you are are musicians, and you can't not make music. You can't not sing. Some of you are generous, and it just exudes from who you are. God is creative. And so he just had to create the world, and he did. So he made the sun and he made the moon and he made the stars. And if you go out in the night sky and you see the beauty of the stars, you realize what an awesome and vast creation we have. And then God made the plants and the animals and the trees and the mountains and the valleys and the ocean and the fish in the ocean and the crustaceans. And they're all different colors and shapes and sizes. If you ever had the opportunity to go scuba diving on a coral reef or or watch a movie of it, you just realize the beauty that exists under the ocean. Or if you have the opportunity this summer to head to the mountains and, and just see the beautiful trees and the rock formations and just close your eyes and think about the creativity of this awesome and amazing God who made all of this. And after God created the entire world, he stepped back and he looked at it and he said, it's good. It's beautiful. It's exactly the way I want it to be. And he was pleased with the creation that, we, that he made. We have a God who's happy with what he's done. You write a song. You paint a picture. You take a photograph. You write a computer program. You accomplish something else. Whatever way, when you're doing these things and you step back and you look at it, you take some pleasure in what it is that you've done. God does the same thing in the world that he created. And after he created the world, he created us. He created humanity. And then he gave this world to us. And he said, here it is. I want you to enjoy it. He gave it to us not just so that we could survive. He gave it to us so that we could thrive. Why do you think there are so many different shapes and sizes and colors, different types of animals that make different sounds, the birds with their music and all those things? Why are there so many different tastes in the food and textures and all of these things? I mean, God could have created something in which we could live that would have been functional, But he went so far beyond it because that's the kind of creative but also loving and gracious and caring and generous God that we had. And he gave all of this to us. And he gave it all to us before we even existed. He didn't decide, oh, they're pretty cool, so I'm going to make something for them. No, he said, 
I'm making this and then I'm going to give it to them because that's who I am and that's the kind of God that I am. And then God said to us, I want you to take care of this world that I've given to you. I'm the king. God says essentially, I'm the big king. I'm the ruler, but you're going to rule under me. You're effectively going to be little kings, little queens under me who are going to take care of the earth in my place. You're going to be my representatives on the earth. Why? God doesn't give us all the details as exactly why, but it's part of who he is and his desire to, to do this. And so he does it and gives it to us and we can enjoy it and we can glorify him because of the incredible God that he is. But if you've ever read through the Bible or if you've been part of Foundations 101 or the project, you know what comes next. We decided that we weren't satisfied with what God had given us. We weren't satisfied with being sub-rulers or vice-regents, in a sense, under him. Instead, we wanted to be like him in a way that he had never intended for us to be. So we rebelled against him, and we said, God, that's not good enough. Instead, we're going to do this. I know you told us not to do this, in the particular case, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I know you said not to do that, but we're going to do it anyway. And what happens? Well, look at the world around us. Yeah, there's still some vestiges of the beauty that, they, that, that we had back in the Garden of Eden, but we've got global warming, and we've got coastal erosion, and we've got air and water pollution, and you know the, the needs of the people in Africa for clean water. Their water was clean when God created it. Perfect example there. And then look at the relationships that we have. Some of you have incredibly good marriages, but they're not perfect. Some of you have great relationships with your, with your children or with your siblings, but they're still broken. Your boss is pretty amazing, but she's far from perfect and, and on. The relationships that we have with one another are broken because of our choice not to live under God's rule and care and authority, not to look to him to meet our needs, but instead to look to ourselves and other people instead. And then our relationship with God is broken as well. Think of the guilt, think of the shame that we feel because of the choices that we make to do the things he tells us not to do and not to do the things that he wants us to do. First thing that happened when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they ended up hiding from God and human beings have been doing that ever since. And if I were God, and you should be very glad that I am not, if I were God, I would have said, that's it. It is over. We are done with planet Earth. We're going to go try something on Mars or wherever it is and start all over again. But God said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. And thousands of years later, God decided, actually, he decided it immediately, but thousands of years later, God ended up sending his son in order to redeem us from a plight that we had caused to rescue us from a situation that we had put ourselves in because we decided we didn't want to follow him in the way that he wanted us to follow him. John 3.16, you've probably heard before, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Rather than saying, I'm done with you, God says, 
I still love you. I'm going to give you the opportunity to be forgiven. Why? Because God created us in his image to look like him, and he wanted to clean up that image, to restore that image that we had tarnished. God looks at us, and he says, you are so valuable. You are worth so much to me that I'm going to give up that which is most precious to me, my one and only son. Jesus looks at us and he says, you are so valuable that I am willing to sacrifice my life so that you can live. That's the kind of God that we have. And if he values us that much, how much more should we value him? The Apostle Paul says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God sacrifices that which is most precious to him, of course he's going to give us everything that we need. He did it once in the Garden of Eden. He did it once at creation. He gave us everything we could need and then some. Then he does it again by sending his son to die for us, not while we were obeying him, not while we were doing what he told us to do, not while we were doing things that were pleasing to him, but in spite of the fact that we weren't, in spite of the fact that we were living in rebellion against him, in spite of the fact that we were refusing to follow after him. He did this for us then, so now how much more is he going to give to us? And whatever we would have to give up in order to gain Christ and what he's done for us, whatever we would have to give up will pale in comparison to the unbelievable love and grace and forgiveness and generosity and compassion and kindness and on and on and on that God will show us. If we are willing to follow the king and to serve him, then we get to be citizens of his kingdom with all the benefits that go with that. Our king is the richest and most powerful and most gracious and generous and kind and loving king in the universe. So why wouldn't we want to serve him? Why wouldn't we want to follow him? And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying God created, is so powerful that he created the world out of nothing. He's so creative that we have to stop and our jaws hit the ground when we look at the world around us and some parts of it and we realize it's nowhere near as beautiful as it originally was. And you know what? It's nowhere near as beautiful as it's going to be when God gets finished with his plan to restore the world to the way he originally created it. We who are followers of Christ, who are citizens of his kingdom, will get to spend eternity with him on a new earth and in heaven, in a restored earth that's going to be at least as good as the Garden of Eden was. All the beauty and all of that and losing all the crying 
and all the pain and all the shame and all the guilt and all the broken relationships and all of the negative things that we are dealing with as a result of our choice not to live under the gracious and compassionate and generous rule of our King. And God pours out His grace on those of us who say to Him, yes, you are my Lord, you're my King, you're my God, you're my Savior, and I want to follow after you. And that's what was going on in the heart of the surgeon in Minnesota. As he spent time in church, as he spent time praying, as he spent time reading his Bible, as he spent time learning about what God was doing with the missionaries down in Mexico, this man became more and more excited about the opportunity to serve God in this particular way as a missionary down in Mexico. And so he was glad to give up everything that he had in order to be able to go and do this because he thought, that's what God wants for me to do. So he went down to Mexico and he gets down there and he starts helping out the missionaries and he's getting pretty excited about what's going on. But one of the problems that the missionaries ran into is they were running out of money because you see this guy had been their main financial supporter. And so they're getting, things are getting a little bit tight. But that paled in comparison to the fact that this guy was absolutely not gifted to be a missionary. He had the missionary side manner, the bedside manner of a toad. When you're operating on someone you know, for cardiac surgery, they're asleep right? So it doesn't really matter. But when you're dealing with people one-on-one -on, -one on a daily basis and you don't have the relational gifts and you put your foot in your mouth, you know, and you only open your mouth to switch feet and, and those sorts of things. <laughs> Finally, the missionaries looked at him and they said, brother, we love you and we know that you love the Lord and we know that you love the people of Mexico and we know that you love us. And with all that love, would you please take it back to Minnesota and start doing heart surgery again? Because God has gifted you to be a heart surgeon. And you're doing his work by helping people with their heart problems. That's important and it needs to be done. We can't do open heart surgery, but you can. So go back and do that and start earning money again because if you don't, we're not going to be able to stay down here. And we look at that and we say, yeah, but isn't it more important to be a missionary than it is to be a heart surgeon or a teacher or a mom or a dad or an investment? I mean, a missionary, minister, you know, aren't those like the pinnacle of service in God's kingdom? And Jesus says, no, no. For some people it is, but God wants each of us to serve him with the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the treasures, the money, that he has given us. And he wants us to do it where he places us. Now, some of us may end up going down to Mexico. Maybe some of you, maybe there's somebody here this morning who God is working in your heart. And as you're hearing this, you're saying, you know what? I, I'm not so sure about Mexico. I want to go to Guatemala. Evan and Hannah Thomas. I want to serve alongside with them at Hope of Life helping those orphan kids down there. If God is working in your heart, do it. Absolutely. 
But maybe he's given you the ability to do open heart surgery, or maybe he's given you the ability to help companies merge together, or maybe he's given you the ability to teach, or maybe right now you're a student, or maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. It doesn't matter who you are and what the particular abilities that God has given you. The question is, are you going to use what God has given you to serve his agenda and his plan and accomplish his purposes, or are you going to use them simply for yourself? What God is looking for us to do is say, you are king and I am not. You set the agenda and I do not. I'm going to follow you instead of asking you to follow me. How is it, Lord, that you want me to use the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you have given to me? Think of your, think of your life like a wheel. And at the center of that wheel, there's a hub and there are spokes radiating out of it. And the hub at the center of the wheel is Jesus Christ. And that's where he ought to be at the center. And everything, your relationships, your work, your leisure time, your finances, your intellectual life, the things that you think about, your creative side, all of these aspects of your life get their meaning and their purpose and their strength and their enablement from Christ who's at the center of that wheel. So you're working on Wall Street and you're working on a merger. Do that in a way that brings glory to God. Maybe it's as simple in that particular situation as operating honestly and telling the truth and being gracious to the people with whom you work and not stepping all over them. Or maybe you're in a relationship with a friend at work and you're talking to her and this actually, somebody was just telling me about this this morning. She was uh, at work the other day and one of her coworkers came up and just started asking her for advice, just telling her what was going on. And my friend ended up sharing some thoughts with her that this woman found to be incredibly insightful. And she looks at her and she says, where do you get this insight? And, and the woman just kind of said, you know, I love God and I love Jesus. And I think he just gave me that insight to be able to share with you. What an opportunity to bring glory to God just by talking about that. Tomorrow morning when you go to work or you go to your camp that you're going to or you're walking around in your neighborhood and, you're, and you meet somebody and you're talking with them and they say, what'd you do this week? And you say, well, I went down the shore on Saturday and yesterday I went to church. Seriously, you go to church? Yeah, you should try it sometime. It's not so bad. We got some pretty good music and you know, sometimes depending on who the speaker is, it's worth listening to what they have to say, you know, and that sort of thing. Why do you do that? Well, because you know what? The more that I get to know the God who created us and gave us all this the more I'm just amazed by who he is. I just want to go and get to know him better, and I want to worship him, and I want to learn more about how I can help other people to know him. I want to make Christ visible. You can make Christ visible wherever you are, both by the way you live your life and by the words that you say. And that's what we ought to be doing as followers of Christ. You are a stay-at-home parent, and you ask, how is it that changing diapers is part of the kingdom of God? Well, you know what? That little dirty diaper factory is created as much in the image of God as any of us. And God has given her to you 
to raise and to care for, including changing her diapers, but also as she grows older and is able to understand, to tell her about the great love that God has for her with the goal that she too is going to become a follower of Christ whose greatest desire is going to be to know God and to help others to come to know him. And so whether you're a stay-at-home parent, a cardiac surgeon, a missionary in Mexico, use what God has given you in order to further his kingdom. The Apostle Paul, one of the leaders in the early church, put this, puts it this way. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, including the mundane things of life like eating and drinking. That's what God wants us to do. But there's one more piece, and that is God wants us to do all of this with joy. Take a look again at the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought that field. And Jesus doesn't repeat the joy idea in the second parable, but clearly the, the, the pearl merchant was happy to be able to sell everything he had because he knew he was getting so much more than that. And if you leave here this morning with the idea that it's obligation or guilt or duty or manipulation or whatever it is that, that would motivate us to follow Christ, then I haven't explained it clearly and you've missed the point of these parables. Why did these guys give up everything? Because what they were going to gain was so much more valuable than what they were giving up. And we're talking about a box, a treasure, and a pearl. And Jesus is saying, go so far, go so far beyond that. Whatever you give up to follow after me, and it's primarily our agenda. It's primarily our plans. It's primarily saying, I'm going to live my life my way. Whenever we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to live my life your way, whenever we do that, God promises that he's going to give us so much more than we could ever imagine. And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has imagined, God has prepared for those who love him. Paul's saying, we can't begin to imagine all of the blessings that God has in store for us if we look to him and say, you are my king, you are my God, you are my Lord, you are my savior, I need you and I'm gonna follow after you. We have some idea, we have some understanding of the grace and the love and the forgiveness that we receive we have some idea of the beautiful creation that we get to enjoy, but we've got an infinite God. And no matter how long we spend, no matter how much time we pray, no matter how much time we read scripture, no how much time we spend meditating and chewing on who God is and what he's done, we will never exhaust the riches of his grace, of his mercy, 
of his love, of his creativity, of his power, of his knowledge, and of his blessings for us. Why? Because he's infinite and we're finite. And so he will never run out of blessings to be able to give to us. And that's why, no matter what we give up, we're always going to get back so much more. As we step out in faith and we say, okay, Lord, I trust you. I'm scared. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I trust you. And so I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what it is that you want me to do, whether it's heading down to Mexico or Guatemala, whether it's supporting a missionary, whether it's just taking time every day to pray, whatever it is that God has called you to do. As you step out on faith and ask him to use you, you're going to learn more and more of his faithfulness because he is faithful. You're going to learn more and more of his grace because he is gracious and enables us. You're going to learn more and more of his power because when we're weak, he's strong. You're going to learn more and more of his love because when you're feeling lonely, he brings that love and comfort. And you're going to see him work in your life and in the lives of the people around you. And then your love for him is going to grow and your desire to serve him and to follow him is going to grow. And that's what God calls us to do. So I'd like us to take just a minute right now, close your eyes and just pray and ask God to continue because he's already begun. Ask him to continue to reveal himself to you and to show you more and more of who he is and the incredible blessings that he has for you. And then ask him as well, to show you how he wants you to use the blessings that he has given to you, how he wants you to use those to further his kingdom. So let's pray together silently and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, it's just amazing to think that you created this world and you gave it to us so that we could enjoy it and you gave us the, the privilege and the responsibility to, to care for it. And it's amazing to think that when we spurned that, when we chose to rebel against you, when we chose to go our own way instead of following after you, that rather than just giving up on us, uh, you continued to pursue us and that you ultimately sent your son for us. And I thank you for that unbelievable, gracious, generous rescue of a gift that you gave us. And I pray that we would all each day make and take the time to reflect on who you are, to pray, to ask you to reveal yourself to us, to read your word, and to, to study it, to grow. And, and as we just look at the world around us to see the beauty of the creation as well and to be drawn to you. I pray as well as we think about the gifts and abilities and talents that you've given us, I pray that you would show us how you would want us to use those to bring glory to you and to bring blessing to the people around us, to advance your kingdom for your honor, for your glory, and for our good. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.